Hello, it is time to chat with me, Kamea, and me, Rose. On this show, we have courageous conversations that illuminate the shared experiences related to food and gender. We are here to help folks digest their relationship to food. In today's episode, we chat about being a woman behind the bar. We had to take this episode and break it into two parts. Not only did we have a few drinks and a lot of laughs, but it was a lot of ground to cover. Rose has a lot of great experience, both in terms of practical tips on how to make some cocktails at home, but also based on her experience in the industry itself. So settle in, pour yourself a glass. It's time to chat. It's a whole different like position, bartending. You control the room, you control everybody's experience and you don't even realize it as a patron so you have the ability to kick somebody out that's a big deal are you uh ready for me to get into some of the legal stuff because that is some of the arguments and the exact framing like if you were to frame the argument on like why men were writing laws around women being bartenders and why it was making them uncomfortable that was like bartenders are word for word almost i love them There was a lot of language around controlling the room. Like, well, you need a man on the premises in order to, like, keep the women safe and, like, all of these things. But this didn't start And in a lot of ways, that's true. Because men will challenge women so much more than they'll challenge another man. But when you just boil it down to the facts and you're reading it as, like, a legal, like, okay, is this okay or is this not okay? And how how does this change the culture of what happens within bars when bars were these spaces where men were making political decisions not just to go have fun like yeah these were places where people in power white men in power specifically were schmoozing rubbing elbows making trades having this heavy political influence And the more women that started to influence that more in that position of power in that bartending space, not just the serving space. Well, that changed things. Mm -hmm. It definitely did. Well, even I think back, which is so funny because in the Titanic, in the movie. Okay. There's the scene. Here we go. No, this is is totally relevant. There's the scene (laughs) where Jack is going into this, the first class dining room and he has dinner with Rose and her family. And remind me, the Titanic sank in 1912. Yeah, yeah. So she kind of makes the gesture like, okay, now it's time we had dinner. Dinner is finished. Now all the men are going to go smoke their cigars and drink their brandy. And the women can go have tea and then go wait in the bedroom. So then when I get all liquored up, I can go do my hanky-panky because it's 1912 and I expect that from women. (laughs) I don't know that that's changed much, but the, <laughs> the, those are the conversations where it was business being conducted it and was. you're checking in about business wealthy, and status. Wealthy men. Yeah. That's wild. And God forbid a woman is even in ear reach of that shit. It is kind of wild to think about the fact that it wasn't that long ago. And I mean, 1912, feels it was a little while ago, but it wasn't that long ago. Just a whisper ago. That women weren't allowed to be like patrons of bars it was really prohibition that really shook that up yeah that's when you start getting speakeasies and those speakeasies started patroning women and that's when you get the flapper stereotype and i heard once that the flapper aesthetic was really where we started to also sell um a lot of thinness culture yep 
um their dresses were different it was like you wanted the aesthetic of um like a frame that just like you draped off of you where it was like a perfect square but you really needed a thin frame in order to pull off that like tent look of the dress and you didn't reveal any curves it was also these were women who started modeling for lingerie and you start getting those ads and this was like this was a liberated woman and it started really interesting um, selling that idea and i haven't i haven't done a lot of research into that so i'm not confident just like (laughs) selling it but i i have roughly heard that that's Mm. the in the periphery of my studies that that's kind of where the idea of a the flapper aesthetic i can't point to any image of a flat of a fat flapper like it was a very no no it was not about curvaceousness aesthetic and there were diets for women like fasting to be really thin smoking to curb your appetite and um yes but they also got involved with drinking culture and they are the first to my knowledge uh, where you start to see images of women in public spaces drinking not like at the back door a little nip here maybe making moonshine in the bathtub kind of situation well because it was pretty frowned upon for a long time for women to even drink alcohol um i had read like way back in like roman times that it was it's weird because i think it was around the same like estimated time in one area it was like you know praise this like this woman would protect the alcohol she controlled it and she made it and she gave it to you and she enjoyed it and it was like this really cool normal thing right but then in rome it was like if a woman was even found near wine she would be could be potentially up for a full execution which is a far not even drinking mommy juice yes far cry from today's mommy juice like that is like mommy's got it like this is my wine time yeah and imagine like and there's so many jokes about it It, like there's wine joke signs alongside the walls of the same people who put the like live laugh love signs up on their wall exactly and those same live laugh love if we're going to stereotype are typically people who probably would have been totally for the execution of women if they were found near a bucket of fucking wine which also makes my anxiety just completely like explode because i'm like how do you know where wine is being stored like, what if you just walking down the road and you stop to chat with your freaking neighbor, you see buying fucking chicken, and you, like, happen to be standing in front of a wine producer? Is my, is my head gone? Like, what the fuck? Possibly. Probably The world was barbaric. Um, but well, there's some also some interesting ties to the idea of brewing and brewing in general being the witch's domain and there is yes. a little bit of a story of the hat the witch the classic witch's hat could be used to you know i'm walking through a big town square and when you see that pointed hat you know she's selling beer i love that i think that's so fucking cool like um i was reading uh, around world war ii when the men all went off to war mm-hmm. and they were doing that whole thing and obviously left our country with majority women and children and they had to keep shit going, right? Yeah, we did. Like, women were bartending, and that was a less normalized thing even in the 40s. And then once all the men came back, women got pushed back out of the bars again. Like, we're taking our jobs back. This is not a shared workspace. Oh, God. Like, 
that was when women started getting into like hotel hospitality. There was a there was a transition from like just inns and like bread and breakfast into more hotel hospitality. And as women started to seek more management positions and positions in the bar, unions were actively organizing against women from holding those positions for fear of both the economic benefit that would provide them, how that would drive them away from the home, how that would drive them away from um the domestic servitude for the upper middle class Mm -hmm. they needed those women to remain dependent on those jobs like there were people in upper middle class positions that were concerned that women would be attracted to bartending specifically but also like hospitality management applying the same skills that they were to running the households of those people but in positions where they had paid time off, money, and, like, less work. Like, mm-hmm. where their off time was their own. God forbid. Right? Oh, God. It, it's. I'm so glad we don't live in this time anymore. Yeah. We don't live in the greatest time right now, to be honest. But, like, you know. You know what I mean. I do. Well, God. you promised me one more drink, and then I have some laws to tell you about. Ooh. Okay. I definitely need a fucking drink if I'm going to listen to fucking laws goddamn fucking government <laughs> fucking pissing me off this last week and a half just get it out of your system tell us how you really feel uh, you're all a bunch of fucking no it's okay um okay let's make another drink okay we are live here we go baby what you got in them glasses it sure is pretty i'm making you a negroni oh a classic yeah i know how you like your bitter campari so um, I'm using Hendrix gin because it's uh, my go-to favorite gin. Call me bougie, whatever, but so it's one ounce uh, gin of your choice, one ounce Campari, and one ounce sweet vermouth. It's another one just like the old-fashioned where you just build it straight in the glass. Um, As opposed to building it in the separate little thing? Correct, in the separate uh, mixing glass. You can, I've seen it done both ways. You can... Um, do it in a mixing glass, dilute it by stirring, and then pour it over fresh ice cubes in your rocks class. But I tend to just keep it simple, stupid, and I just build it straight in the glass. So I put my liquor in, top it with ice, and then stir away. Same action. It's again, keeping the back of the spoon against the glass and stir until it's nicely chilled and opaque. Never thought about stirring technique so much. I've just kind of like swooshed it around. The technique does matter. Like I don't want to, I'm over here like, I don't want to be pretentious, but it does matter. But I'm going to be pretentious about it. So back of the spoon against the glass around and around. Round and around, even circles. You don't have to go fast. Um, I also did a few dashes of orange bitters in here, but you again, you can use any kind of bitter that you prefer. This is one that I've played with all kinds of bitters. You can do like darker profiles, like a black walnut bitter if you want. I'm going to do a brighter one, um, a bitter that I'm really excited about and enjoy to play with is a celery bitter. Oh. Which is really fun and it gives kind of a bright note to it. I don't know about that. All right. Celery bitter? Yeah. Uh, there's chocolate bitters, there's p- 
pine needle bitters. Obviously, there's a, it's an endless world. All right, and then you're going to garnish it with a orange peel, just like your old-fashioned. For the Negroni, I like to do a long orange peel, like all the way down the length of your orange. Um, just using a classic vegetable peeler is fine. Yeah. You can get like really nice peelers, but it doesn't really matter. The more pith you get on your peel, which this one, I didn't really get very much pith because my peeler isn't probably the best for this, but the more pith, the more structure you're going to get with your peel. So you can manipulate it to be a different shape and garnish it in like a fun way. But can you put a rabbit on mine? Um, if you gave me enough time, but, a tiny um, pair of headphones? today, oh my God, that'd be so cute. But today, no, um, you're going to take your long citrus piece. You're going to like with the inside of the citrus peel facing you, you're going to like use your fingers and pinch it into a taco shell, mm-hmm. classic We're American taco in. shell. We're not going full taquito here. We're not a taquito today. We're just going to be a little bit of a taco. And you're going to like gently with that like pressure, roll the citrus in your fingers to express the oils and just go back and forth along the top of your glass. And basically you're just trying to get that oil on top of your It looks like you're putting a spell on my drink right now. It's so true. Like when I was bartending and I would do this, people will look at you and I've had somebody be like, what did you just do? (laughs) What did you just do? And I'm like, just a little magic. All your hair is going to fall out now. Yep. And sometimes if you're in the right light, you can see the expression hit your your liquid, and it's really cool. So, and then again, just a nice little wipe around the mouthpiece of your glass. With the orange peel. With the orange peel. And traditionally, you would set it, like, on top of your glass on the edge, so it's still long-wise. It's kind of like a Lincoln log, if hmm. that makes any sense to you guys. Did you play with Lincoln logs as a kid? I don't think so. I was really into Legos, though. I did Lincoln logs a lot. Okay, I'm going to try to get more pith on this one. So you can do it that way. You can also make a little curl with your orange peel and shove it in the corner of your glass. That's pretty. Kind of whichever you prefer. Um, Laying it on top of your glass gives you a little bit more of a nose when you drink it. but In that it's actually going to hit me in the nose? Like you're going to get the smell as you drink it, which is like an extra because smell and flavor all go together. Thanks. Enjoy. I love that ruby color. Uh-huh. It's beautiful. Very pink. Oh, so good. I love a Negroni, too, like, after dinner. Hmm. After my meal. Ugh. When you head to the parlor to discuss mm. your business. Yes. Podcasting. Do you know what makes Campari that color? I don't. I would imagine it's whatever herbs that are in there. Let's look at the bottle. I'm not sure. It probably Is it orange? Is it just orange? It comes from a bug. Ooh, I just googled it. Classic. I knew we should have guessed that. Anything that's a fun color comes from insects. All right, I'm really excited to hear about these laws. All right, so we have this whole barmaid problem in Britain from 1880 to like 1920, where it's described as a social problem that women are interested in becoming barmaids. And so this is a really interesting piece about language because it does, when we when women start getting into bartending, they start referring to female-bodied people as barmaids, which has a, to me, a flavor of servitude. It does, of yeah. D- domesticity even still, right? But these were positions of power as we were creating this hospitality 
industry, <laughs> right? And it starts to make this distinction between there are like cocktail waitresses and then there are these bar maids. And in Britain, it was actually described as a social problem. And that was definitely mirrored in how we've set up in the United States. Oh, my God. One of the things that made bar work more appealing than employment in factories or domestic service. So if you're in the position of being a woman who is seeking to work, which at this time is like a whole other thing. Like it's really common for me to have friends that work. And, you know, in that time, it's not that domestic work isn't work. It's just different in terms of how we value it. And in this particular period of time, we start seeing some hints of women working outside of the home, particularly in less privileged situations. And they're seeking employment in factories and domestic service for the upper middle class, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of bar work that's more appealing is that it's less physically strenuous the environment's just like beautiful it was a little bit of a higher pay than being a domestic servant but the barmaid um could also expect to start uh making tips but it wasn't always money it was like gratuitous gifts in the form of being having drinks bought for you but You know, it could, but more often than not, they would get material goods that then they would sell for money. And one of the um, more prestigious gifts was clothing because they could wear it and like up their aesthetic for continuing in the hospitality industry. But that was also really valuable to sell to other women, which would increase your wages still a lot of labor on her behalf. It's not just like giving 20%. It's like these things and these women have relationships to these men in order to buy clothes for them and like it's a whole other level of like losing and whatnot but i thought that was really interesting because this article um is at least talking about how it really depended on like where you worked and so the man might offer to like buy you a glass of wine and you would like play it off and be like can i have a box of chocolates instead And then he would come back the next time with a box of chocolates for you, which you would either enjoy. And that was like way more of a luxury then than it is for us now. Like if I want a box of chocolates, I can just go get a fucking box of chocolates. Like we can, where we live, we can basically get anything we want. Right. Right. Um, Interesting. That's fascinating. Very interesting. It's interesting to think about the like buying drinks because that's still even like now, if you're a bartender, that happens. In the industry, alcoholism and drug addiction is so rampant that, like, I also think it's really fucked up to do that to your bartender because you don't know their situation. You don't know what their limits are, their boundaries, and you put them in a really awkward situation. Well, so in terms of the early bartending ages, this is one of the areas where unions have been very helpful. And I think we forget how um, organized workers' rights have really fought to give us the eight-hour work week, which we are... Or the eight-hour work week. Can you imagine? The eight hours a day. Oh, my God. I was going to say that would be amazing. (laughs) Uh, The 40-hour work week, right? That that is something that we have fought really hard to achieve, but that is being eroded so much with technology and this, uh, this expectation that you are in constant communication with your employer or if you are a person in business, you are attached to your phone and your media channels, and there are so many different ways to get a hold of somebody 
Um, but in the early bartending ages, you might have gotten like a half day off per week and one free Sunday a month was really common. Um, the teams of barmaids would change shifts, change shifts after eight to 10 hours was pretty common. Um, but the average barmaid worked around 70 hours per week. A higher figure of 105 hours per week was frequently cited as normal for bar staff. And then this goes on to describe that a lot of licensed establishments started to prefer women bartenders because they were better at showing up to work on time. They were better at attending, but they also were not as expensive and not so clumsy. They were not so wasteful. They don't break as many things. Men were liable to drink um, and to other vices such as betting and just like participating more with the culture where women um at least according to this on average was better at just like separating the two separating the two and kind of controlling the room but it's an interesting like dichotomy where it was like oh we can benefit off of these women because we don't have to pay them as much but at the same time these same unions as soon as women started trying to get these economic benefits they started being campaigned against by bar unions and associations but at the national level they had two bills introduced in parliament in 1896 and 1908 trying to bar women from bartending specifically and they were defeated narrowly so then the same associations controlled by men campaigned and curtailed women's participation more successfully because of licensure so then that was more of like a regional it wasn't a national thing it was like within the region here's the requirements for you getting licensed and then there was more like um whoa you can't get a license in order to serve alcohol because of x y and z and that is very similar to what happened in the u.s so this feels a little further removed because it's like 1880s 1920 like that feels really far away um but then the issue of women bartending here in the u.s has a lot of shit around it around 1945 which is the same year that world war ii ended Mm -hmm. um you mentioned this with like women coming in and bartending and then men wanted to come back and get their jobs and um there is a law that is known as like the bartender act which prohibited women from bartending in cities with a population over fifty thousand. um this was specifically focused in like michigan but this this case actually ended up all the way at the supreme court but there's a lot of buildup that happens before it ends up in the supreme court right and before this case ends up in the supreme court it was like you could be a barmaid so long as your husband owned or your father and by extent your father-in-law if they owned the bar then you were allowed to bartend but this became an issue because okay women sometimes outlive their husbands and if this is like your family's main way of work and so it's a family establishment where the husband owns the bar but the woman's running a lot of the show and maybe her daughter's also bartending wow as soon as the husband dies where does that leave the family and they weren't allowed to have their own liquor license she could buy alcohol she could run the show she can control the room but she was in a position then where she had to hire men 
to run her own business because she legally couldn't whoa that's so wild. can you imagine i would be pissed i'd be so pissed honestly i would probably like hire somebody to like live and drag and pretend that they were my husband <laughs> like why not or is there a lot of like photo documents like yeah this is totally ralph ralph is my love of my life and in reality it's just like my bff we're running the show hey, you both get your money <laughs> and like have a good life right i love it wow i love it that's um, so fascinating there was a there was a story i shared with you um when i was sick and just like reading a lot on the couch <laughs> as uh, one does when they're sick <laughs> uh there was a lady who fell victim to this same law where she bartended in her early married years in her 20s and she was also in the midwest i think it was in michigan but she ended up behind the bar because the woman who like technically owned the bar she like liked to party with the patrons and Mm. so this young girl who was hired as a server ended up behind the bar a lot and like ended up good at the job and enjoyed like that social aspect she was really good at just like the tasks of the job and they started to get successful and when they got successful then there was another bar that like tattled on them and so then she got fired and had to go work for her father-in-law's bar and she ended up bartending until she was 92 years old badass bitch 92 years old and the bar that her family owned it's changed names and it's now like in her and her husband's name and she died just a few years ago so we can't go visit her wow um she and her husband owned (laughs) the oldest bowling alley in the united states and to this day you can still go and have the experience of having like pin setters go and set up all your bowling pins when you go bowl, which I can't even imagine. That'd be so weird. Little wow. little bar. Um, but she served there until she was 92 years old. Her family still runs it. And there's this great um, story where she, in her own bar, got wasted with some girlfriends and ripped off her bra get it girl and threw it up in the rafters like fuck this shit like what and threw it up in the rafters and all of her girlfriends did it too and then this became a thing that you would just do at this particular bar in this small town just like you'd go you get drunk and like you sign your bra and you throw it up into the rafters and so they ended up with like a fuck ton of bras up that in is so the amazing rafters of this of this bar and then the fire department was like, you can't have this as a this is a hazard. And they made them take all the bras down. And then this lady, I don't have my notes. So I don't know her name, but I will, I will link it in the show notes. But she got so pissed. She like petitioned the city. She got the like citation that she got for like this being a problem removed. And then they hosted this massive party to rehang everyone's oh bras. And she raised a bunch of money for charity when she did it. What a smart lady. Like, and now that it's a is thing what you can still go do. That is what bar culture going into a bar where you it's based it's an adult play room. That's what it is. Like controlled and make sure you're appropriate and yada yada yada. I told you towards the end of her life, if there was like a bachelor party that came to visit her her bar, she would sign all the asses of the young men. 
like it like 80 something years old that's amazing she didn't start doing that as a young woman but like as an old lady she'd be like yeah come on like bend over honey and i was gonna say she's probably seen some shit in her years where she's like i don't give a shit like let's have fun wow what a hero legend full-on legend that's really interesting distracted by the loss but she was fired because she wasn't technically allowed to bartend wow and this whole like bra hanging thing this was not a feminist move no this was this was just it this is a fun bar thing like she got drunk with her friends and was like i don't want to wear this anymore listening to you talk like the the bar license makes me really like curious what that criteria was back then too because to be able to legally serve alcohol um you have to have a license to do so and you go through like a small course to educate yourself on how to do it properly according to your state's laws. I don't understand how a job that is minimum wage most likely plus tips yeah. is responsible for all of the liability that comes with drinking. It blows my mind. Like I don't think patrons really realize that like well, by law, thing. when I was a cashier, if I sold liquor yes. to a minor, I would have been legally liable and fined. Not the grocery store. Yes. Me as a person. Which doesn't make sense. How how does it all just fall on one person's shoulders when you're just a person trying to make a living? It, it's so weird. Anyways, we could, I could go on about it. But I think it's really unfair. And I think every bar patron needs to be understanding to the bartenders when they get cut off and when they refuse service well the arguments of how this supreme court case comes up is like pretty interesting to read if you're into case law and i know some of our listeners are and some of them aren't so i will link it in case you're curious or if you're working on any kind of papers that this might be relevant but it's really interesting to even look at how it's described the way the bar is controlled and the way that it describes needing the demand for needing bartenders in cities with larger populations because they needed the workforce because the men wanted to be served. But there was an unruly nature about it and like, how are we going to grapple with this? And ultimately, it did settle on women not being allowed to just bartend on their own and this was in 1945 whoa and so that was not that long ago and um one of the things in an article i don't i don't have university access anymore so i'm frustrated by this but there was one (laughs) quote that i pulled from an article that i had where there was this person who was within a union a a bar association who was quoted in 1943 so this is two years before this case got up to it so there's a lot of before something ends up being this case and then it's like okay here's the supreme court case there's this whole social lead up to what's happening before we end up arguing this in court and this person um is thomas kearney in a 1943 radio interview in detroit is Um, quoted on the radio as saying to quote to accept them women into membership of their thing would be to imply that the industry has accepted barmaids as a permanent fixture this is not true in the absence of a law to prohibit female bartending unionists policed the industry doing what the law ought to do but wasn't 
And this is a very interesting time because you can start like there's a lot more publicity around what was happening in Michigan, but there were initiatives in New York and in big cities all over the country where women bartenders were essentially being boycotted by men in power. Like you can't have this. And there was one story I read about um, a business in New York where their bar association picketed outside of this woman-owned bar and the women responded by putting a sign in the window that says we are not represented by that union we're not allowed membership and we're open Ooh, that's badass because they couldn't pick it they weren't represented by those people but they were trying to run a schmear campaign against these women who were just running businesses just can you just like leave them the fuck alone the bartending act is no longer in effect um, because it was overruled. And I think in current times, it's important to make the distinction between something being overruled versus overturned. So when something is overruled, it's like a law that trumps what's in place, like where one decision makes the other one ineffective. Whereas when we talk about overturning Roe v. Wade, we're not necessarily saying, oh, here's a decision that goes on top of like Trump's that decision we're saying we're getting rid of that right right yeah um so just making that language distinction but it was ruled over it was overruled excuse me by this case um craig versus bjorn that wasn't settled until 1976 whoa that was also related to that's like our parents generation yeah my mother was born in 1972 my mom was young yeah, um, I was going to say, I think my mom was like in middle school, high school in the 70s. Uh, yeah, so that's not far from us at all. Um, but this was also a case that was arguing beer laws and liquor laws, but they made it a man's problem. And actually, our RBG helped frame the argument for this case. Classic. Because Get there a was, girl. There was a town, I think it was in Iowa. I'd have to double check my notes where there was this low um, percentage of alcohol beer that you could buy as long as it was under a certain alcohol percentage. If you were 18 as a girl, you could buy it, but you had to be 21 as a boy to buy it. And the distinction was that it was discriminatory against the men, assuming that the women would be more responsible for this (laughs) and of course that created situations where young girls are like buying this beer for boys and all of these things but it ended up in the supreme court and a court full of male judges that wanted to let the young men buy beer at the same age as the girls so that case overturned the law basically it created the argument for gender discrimination is not okay whoa but they made it a man's problem in order to do it and it was related to alcohol but once it was a boy's problem they were like oh yeah that makes sense oh but these men are being discriminated by like goddamn. but it has these ripple effects that we continue to make legal arguments around right because you made the distinction that we can't discriminate against sex based on sex and so when that happened in 1976 now we start getting more women bartending and female bartenders make up 60 percent of bartenders Mm -hmm. just generally speaking but that encompasses like roughly all 
Yeah. All types not, of bars. Not getting into the distinction again of that hierarchy of are we talking like mixology or are we talking about like the casino? Mm-hmm. And that's not saying that there's a superiority between the woman who works as a mixologist versus the woman who works in a casino is just access to resources, knowledge, and a huge pig app, right? There's this perceived hierarchy of power. And well, it's, it's the patriarchy. It's the patriarchy. It's interesting, too, because... Um, I got a little fired up there. Yeah, you did. You got a little too much of your Negroni in you. Um, I think it's interesting, too, because... I mean, I'm just over here slightly setting aside the gender dynamics there that you just talked about, which is just mind-boggling. But but it's weird to think if you were born 20 yeah. years ago, your job would be so different. Oh, my God. I think your both access every to knowledge single of what you just day. shared with me would be totally different. I'm very grateful to be living in the world that I live in now, the time frame. However, there's a lot of shit going on right now, so I say that with a grain of salt. But there are still as little as it feels like it Sometimes there is some growth that we have made, but we need to keep pushing forward and not rewind backwards. <clears throat> Please vote. Um, and keep talking about this and shit. And keep talking about it and reminding each other that, like, this is we, we haven't come that far. This is kind of, like, a little bit off topic, but, like, I was talking to my boyfriend the other night about bartending, right? And yeah. cocktails and mixology and just, like, the whole the, – the industry in a whole, right? And when you're mentioning, like, 60% of all bars, like, you were very clear and thank you for being very clear of the distinction that that is any place that serves alcohol. Mm -hmm. We're not defining very nice places, extreme nice places that are award-winning or the family-owned. Like, we talked about the Red Robins, the um, Steakhouse and Grill. Like, we're not talking – like, it's all of that, right? Can you imagine if you get margaritas at Taco Bell? I bet one day we will. <laughs> I want to say that. I bet one day we will. But spoiler alert. <laughs> but as a bartender, you can work at a fine dining establishment, make decent money, whatever. My assumption. You can work at a prohibition style cocktail space that is refined, beautiful, ritualistic, just it's really in like celebrating the tradition of cocktail making right yeah versus working in a nightclub or a dive bar where you're just like red bull and vodka baby like all night long i would die who do you think makes more money i mean i'm not a betting lady right the nightclub people and the dive bar people make so much more money than the mediocre middle class cocktail bars that all of our like friends and family are like oh that's this is a nice place where you're gonna go on a date this is where you're gonna take your family and your in-laws to it's the like dance clubs it's the dive bars with tv screens everywhere they are making bank they're able to buy homes and depending on where you live depending on there's a lot of factors there, but you were able to make a full living. Even still? Mm-hmm. Well, you're selling me. It's better than I do farming. But you also, the sacrifices, the hours are shit. Yeah. <laughs> you're surrounded by addiction, belligerency, sexual 
misconduct. Like you're surrounded by like all of that bullshit all the time, which takes a specific personality. But it's wild. Like if you have an in on a really good bar where you can make a lot of money, you can work three days a week and be totally fine and happy financially. Again, depending on where you live. But well, I'm going to put my money on this podcast getting big. Right. So uh, come on, come on, come on. Share it with some friends. Leave us a review. Gosh. I, I think it's interesting, too, because even with all of that, like you can be working at one of the, quote, lower level jobs, the nightclubs and the more dive bars. And traditionally, from the people that I've talked to where we live, they make way more money at these nightclubs and these sports bars that are like lower level, less professional looked at jobs in our society than they would at like a prohibition traditional cocktail bar or these really nice swanky places that you get these like fancy fucking glasses with the fancy fucking garnishes. They're shit, I got that today at home in my sweatpants. <laughs> Woohoo! Good for you. Good day. Good Monday. But <laughs> respect to your restaurant workers and your service workers and they have listen to with all of our crap and listen to this podcast and share it with a friend that wants to listen to this podcast Do it. and write us a review. We would really appreciate it. <laughs> really working for those tips. <laughs> Just do it for me, just this once. Did I mention you're looking really fabulous this evening? Oh my gosh, that's such a great choice. (laughs) You have really great taste in podcasts. You really do. Thank you so much for listening. Your time is a gift and we really appreciate it. Did you know you can now rate Time to Chat on Spotify? Follow us on Instagram for first dibs on some listener swag. Trust us, you're going to want some of this. If you enjoyed this conversation, please follow, share, and rate this podcast. It really makes a difference and helps us reach more folks that want to digest their relationship to food. Thanks for being here. Until next time. My own inequality.